You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. I heard somebody say years ago, well, the world is overpopulated. I, in fact, they started teaching us that stuff in, 19, in 1970 when I was in high school. The world is dangerously overpopulated. And they'd show us a, they'd show us a picture of downtown Tokyo at noon. <laughs> like that's the world. Why don't, they show us a, why don't they show us a picture of downtown Helena, Montana? <laughs> you can drive for hours at a time in the highways in Montana and not ever see another car. Yeah. Wyoming too. The world's not overpopulated, not even close. But we should have more children. We need to teach our kids again. Get married and have lots of kids. Let's call a small family five children. Let's call a small family five children. And a large family, 12. Anything in between is normal. Anything between is average. I know, I know most of us didn't have that many kids, man, and I had three because we had been brainwashed. We didn't want to overpopulate the world with hollers. I mean, you know, I think the world needs one holler family, but probably that's about all. No, the truth is we, 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 have, to, we have to change our minds. Listen to me. Western civilization and Christian culture, red and yellow, black and white, all of us who consider ourselves part of Western culture and the Christian civilizations are going away as Islam is having an average of six, seven, and eight children per family. And you know why they're doing it? Because they're preaching it. They're telling the people, have lots of kids. Take over that way. While Christians are abortion happy, not, not, not Christians like you, I know, but many are. And if not abortion happy, then birth control happy. I listen, I listen, don't run out of the building screaming. I'm not saying you can't use birth control. I'm not saying any, uh, it's not my business to tell you any of that. I'm just encouraging you, you young people especially, get married and have lots of kids. I asked a woman one time who had 16, count them, 16 children. Her 16th was the president of a youth group when I was a youth pastor. I said, Rose, her name was Rose Lopez. I said, Rose, did you have too many children? She said, what? I said, did you have too many children? She said, no. I said, you had 16 and you didn't have too many? She said, no, Pastor John, I didn't have too many kids. Which one's she going to do without? But I had a woman in my office who had millions of dollars. I'm telling you with my hand up. Were they rich, 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 rich? Millions of dollars, one little girl. And that little girl had grown up and gotten married and had a baby. And announced to her mother that that was going to be all they have. Her mother came crying to me in my office. Oh, can you talk to Angela? You got to, I'm so brokenhearted. She's just going to have one child, and I realize how much I, how much I want more grandbabies. I said, what, what, what? She said, I was so selfish just having one. You know, you know how many women can't have babies at all? Would love to have. She just, 
She was weeping and brokenhearted. She said, I don't know why we didn't have more children. Here's what she said. I don't know why we didn't have more children. She said, I guess we were just selfish. That's what she said. I'm not saying that's my opinion of her. I thought they were really sweet people. But she didn't realize what she had done. She had cut off her own blessing down the road. And let me tell you something. If you don't have grandkids, you don't know what she's talking about. But when you see that first one, you think, I need about 100 more of those right there. You get one, you think, I've got to have two. I gotta, when you get two, you've got to have four. When you get four, you've got to have eight. I mean, you just want more. Can't get enough of them. I've got to have me some grandbabies. But the thing is, you've got to be thinking about that when you're having babies. Well, thank you for your enthusiasm. I, I didn't think that's good. We've all been so secularly brainwashed about it. We have. We've been so, so secularly brainwashed. I don't know when God's word about children being a blessing ever, ever changed. It's a blessing to get a check in the mail. It's a blessing to get a pat on the head. It's a, it's a blessing to get a promotion. It's a, it's a blessing to, to get something new. It's, it's a blessing, you know, to have things given to you. The Bible says it's a blessing for children to come into your life. It's one of the blessings of Abraham, and you're the children of Abraham. I'm not rebuking anybody for not having lots of kids. I'm just saying we need to, we need to turn this tide around. I'm trying to teach all the preachers I know, teach your people to get married and have lots of kids. One of the greatest missiologists in the world is a guy named Fred Markert. He's been with YWAM forever, and this guy knows everything. He knows everything about everything, about demographics around the world. Fred Markert, I don't know if you remember who he is, just an amazing man, one of the brightest, smartest guys I've ever met. He's on the board at Christ for the Nations and a personal friend of mine. And he and Fred and I got to talking. And I got to talking to him about birth rates. And he said, John, it's amazing how you always ask the question that goes right to the heart of everything. And he, he started teach, telling me these very things. He said, I now, in order to teach world evangelization and global domination for the Christian faith, he said, I'm now teaching young people, get married young, have lots of children, and raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Our Western civilization is going to go away. Is it important to you? That it's here? How many of you think Western civilization, it's important to have it in the earth? It tamed the world. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just saying it tamed the world. It tamed the whole world when Western civilization came to birth. And Western civilization was born out of Martin Luther's Reformation. Martin Luther taught people to get married young and have lots of babies. That's what he taught them. Is it too late for that? I don't think it's too late for that. I think we can turn this thing around. I think we can teach people that having lots of kids is a blessing. Yeah. Try it. Yeah. <laughs> try it. Any young people over here that say, I'm, I'm going to try it? <laughs> now, everybody needs to hear this message, not just the young people. Those of us who are older, we need to teach young people. Because I've had, I've had young people, I teach this at Christ for the Nations, and they say, well, how many did you have, Dr. Holler? I said, I was brainwashed, and I didn't learn these truths till it was too late. If I had it to do over, we'd have a house full of them. If I had it to do over, I'd have a house full of them. How many of you had it to do over, you'd have, you'd have a few more kids, see? Look around. I can name you ten women that I've talked to who say they didn't have enough children 
They wish they'd had more. But I have never talked to, I talked to another woman who had 11 kids, Evelyn. Evelyn Wright, I think was her last name. Evelyn, did you have too many children? <laughs> no. Looked at me like I was stupid for asking the question. I've never talked to a person who has a, who's ha- has a house full of kids, so they had too many. But I can, lead, I can tell you the names of about 10 who said they wish they'd had more. I think we saw seven or eight right here in this room. Are you following me? Why do we, why do we live with that? Here's where I see it. God made a woman able on a normal basis. God made a woman capable of having a baby every year. And put in the average American male, not just the American male, but every male, God put in the, in the average American male the ability to produce over a million reproductive cells every single day. My wife, my wife used to say when I was young, she said, what was God thinking? <laughs> Millions and millions of, of, of reproductive cells that an average man is going to produce every single day. Day And the very fact that you are here means you are a champion because you won the marathon racing to the egg. <laughs> Glory to God of millions of contestants. <laughs> Hallelujah. You beat out all those, all those other losers, praise God, and got there first. You're born a champion. The fact that you're born in this earth means you're a champion. We all get here the same way. Don't be embarrassed. We're all in this together. We all got here the same way. Praise God. But the people of God should have more children or else just stop talking about prosperity. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 21. Genesis 1, 21. This is for the record, by the way. Biblical theology includes having children. Not many people talk about it anymore. But they should. We all should. And God created, Genesis 1.21 says, And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, uh, that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after. Does it sound like he had birth control on his mind? All right, and God said, let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beasts of the field after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was going to overpopulate everything. No, he said he thought, he thought it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful. The very first thing out of, the, out of God's mouth when it came to blessing man was be fruitful and Add or multiply, multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. The world's just not overpopulated, y'all. Do you know if the, if the whole wide world moved to the United States, we'd have about the population density of Bulgaria? 
If all 7 billion of them moved here, we'd have about the population density of Bulgaria. Y'all have heard about Bulgaria's overpopulation problem, haven't you? It's on the news every day. No, you never heard of it because they don't have one. <laughs> Bulgaria overpopulated, whoever said that? In fact, I've got some stats for you I want you to see. Let me see if I can find it. Help me, Lord. About population. Let me just... And the reason they, the reason they, they tell us all this is because they, they want us to believe that if you get the world overpopulated, then poverty comes. They try to blame overpopulation, you know, poverty on overpopulation, but it's just not true. Here's, here's how I can prove it to you. How many of you come from a, a rural town? Let me see how many of you come from a rural town. Okay, I do too. Do the young people stay in those little tiny towns? Where do they go? They go to the city because they want to get a good job because they know that the cities are where the money is. What makes a city? Lots of people. Not big buildings. People. Lots and lots of people. That's what makes a city. And young people, I'm not taking questions, son. And young people... Young people today understand that if they want to be blessed financially, they don't stay in areas where people are not. People cause prosperity, not poverty. People cause prosperity. I'm going to prove this to you by this way. It'll take me a second. Hang with me. And I'll get you questions after the service. I love answering questions. The, the first most densely populated nation in the world. Anybody want to say what it is? Take a guess. Most densely populated per, uh, nation in the world. Macau. Yeah, I don't even know where it is. It's a little tiny place, about six square miles is all I have. There's 73,350 people per square mile there. You know what, anybody want to know what the next one is? Monaco. 42,143 people per square mile. Singapore's next with 18,640. These are, these are city states. 18,645,000 people per square mile. Extremely prosperous. Hong Kong's right after Singapore, 18,176. The Gaza Strip is next with, over nine, with nearly 10,000. Bermuda's next. Malta's next. Bangladesh, tai, Taiwan, South Korea. The Netherlands with 1,259 people per square mile. Anybody, want, anybody interested in India? The, the second most populated nation in the world, but per square mile they only have 954 people per square mile. Anybody interested in China, the, the most populated nation in the world? They only have 365 people per square mile. France has 289. Egypt has 205. Japan has 836 per square mile. Puerto Rico has 1,135. Y'all heard about Puerto Rico's overpopulation problem, haven't you? No, because it doesn't exist. They have 1,135 people per square mile. Anybody interested at all? Oh, you asked, somebody said Mexico, 145 people per square mile. Anybody interested in the United States? 84. 84 people per square mile. 
What, what does it do to you but shock you to hear the truth? Just to hear the truth. We must change this. We must change this. We believe the lie of family planning. We believe the lie of Margaret Sanger, who started, what's it, what's it called? Planned Parenthood. She was trying to exterminate the black race. She was a Nazi. And I don't know why anybody trusts Planned Parenthood statistics. Evil. And taught us all, taught us all, stop having babies because it's not a blessing. You're ruining the world. You're overpopulating the world. Well, what Bible are you reading? I'm reading a Bible that says that children are a blessing. Travis, Colonel. Travis Barnhill here. I call him Colonel Travis, praise God. He's a hero in Texas, Colonel Travis was. He ran the Alamo. Man, we need, we need lots of kids. Travis, find you a girl that wants to have 10 kids. And then give her 12, praise God. 22, amen. Amen. Can you stay with me just for a minute? God said that children are a blessing. Now, I read from the Old Testament, right? By the way, just, to, just so you know, the, the U.S. ranks 103rd in the world. 103rd in the world for population. The U.S. is the third most populated nation in the world. Third. With, with over 300 million people, we're the third most populated nation in the world. Indonesia right behind us, and Brazil right behind that. Of course, India and China, you know that. And still, we only have 84 people per square mile. I just think that's, that's laughable that we believe this nonsense. And the only reason, it's a sinister, demonic plot. The only reason is to minimize the Christian influence in the world. That's the only reason for it. And Christians just believed it. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let's look, look there. 1 Timothy 5, verse 14. 1 Timothy 5, 14 says, I will therefore, who's writing 1 Timothy? The apostle to the Gentiles. The apostle to Western civilization. The apostle to Europe. The apostle to Africa. The apostle to America. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside unto, unto Satan. Ooh, turned aside after Satan. Hmm. Hmm. Some have already turned aside after Satan. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give no one occasion. For, you see what, what we opened ourselves up to? Opened ourselves up to the adversary. Opened ourselves up to the devil because we didn't teach young women this. Everybody here, are you reading it for yourself? Am I making it up? I will therefore that the young women marry, bear children, guide the house. What are you doing if you don't? What are you doing if you don't? You give an occasion to the adversary. 
Let them turn after Satan. I mean, I didn't write this book. I'm just telling you what it says. What's wrong with a young woman getting married and her life's goal is to populate the earth with believers? Well, when's the last time you heard a sermon like this? How many of you have never heard a sermon like this? Let me see your hand. So, see? All right. That's why we're, that's why we're trying to set the record straight. Number 32, moving right along. I'll talk to you about the Laodicean church. I say that the Laodicean church was not terribly evil, just lazy. One of the things that's been highly misunderstood that the Laodicean church was evil, evil church, evil, evil people. Ah! Laodicea was not far from Ephesus and Colossae, and it was maybe 100 miles from Ephesus, 75 to 100 miles from Ephesus, east, just about due east. But down in the valley, the river that run through, ran through there, the meandering river they called it, just south of there, about 10 or 15 miles, would be Colossae. And when Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians, he said, be sure that you give this letter to the Laodiceans and you read the letter that I wrote them. Not long after that letter arrived in A.D. 64, there was a great earthquake in that valley and it completely and utterly destroyed Colossae. That's why we believe that just about that time they had read that letter, each of those two churches had read their own letters delivered by Onesimus, and those letters got exchanged, and the Laodicean church had the Colossian letter, and the Colossian church had the Laodicean letter. You understand? And the Colossian city was completely and utterly destroyed, and that letter was lost. The Laodicean letter was lost in Colossae. And so that Laodicea, though, was able to preserve the letter of Colossians. Even though it was destroyed, too, it wasn't, it wasn't impacted quite like Colossae was. So that's why we have a letter, to the, a letter to the Colossians still. But if you'll notice over there in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where Jesus is addressing the seven churches of Asia, you know that, did you notice that, that Colossae was not mentioned? Because by that time, 50 years later, it was, well, 30 years later, it wasn't there. It had been completely destroyed. The whole city gone. They didn't even go back to try to rebuild it. Kind of interesting, isn't it? How, how historical events play into all this. But we do have Jesus speaking to the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3. And the Laodicean church had made some mistakes. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 3 and begin with reading with verse 15. Revelation three fifteen. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Skip down to verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. So Jesus is talking about an invitation to supper. He's going to come in and eat with them. He's going to come in and eat with them, but look what he, how he starts this. He said, I want you to be cold or hot, 
but not lukewarm. Now, we've heard this explained through the years in such erroneous terms, if you ask me. One day I was reading, I said, Lord, this doesn't make any sense. My upbringing, the preachers always said, God would rather have your graveyard dead, cold, and completely away from him. Have you heard it? He'd rather have you cold and completely away from him if you're not going to be red hot on fire. He doesn't want you to be on the fence. He'd rather you be completely away and cold, dead. Because he wants you only on fire, hot, 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 hot. Really? That's not what that said. That's not what that said at all. Only thing got spewed out was the lukewarm. The hot and cold were still in the mouth. I read it like it said it. The hot and the cold were still in the mouth. The lukewarm's what spewed out. He never said the cold was way fr away from him. It's an analogy for eating. He's talking about eating supper with them. It's an analogy for eating and communion. And here's what he's saying. Here's what he's really saying. Hear it. You want to hear the message like it really says it for a change? And 2,000 years ago, it was difficult for a woman to prepare hot and cold food and put it, in front of a, put it in front of a guest and make sure that the cold was cold and the hot was hot. But nowadays, if, it's, if, if they're late, you stick it in the microwave, it's blazing hot by the time they get it. They can burn their tongue off with your food. You got a refrigerator, you just pull it out. If it's not cold enough, you just put more ice in it and it's cold, cold, cold. It's almost freezing when you present it before them and the microwave will make it blazing hot. The plate will almost be on fire. It's so easy to do nowadays. Then it wasn't. It was not easy to do then. To time it just right so that the food was hot when it was prepared and the drink and the, the, other, the, the cool vegetables were cold when they got them. Jesus said, I want my meal hot and cold. I don't want lukewarm on my plate. That's all he's saying. Why? Because if they, if, they were, if they gave him something cold to drink, they worked at it. If they gave him something hot to eat, they worked at it. But if they set something in front of him that was lukewarm, they hadn't worked at all. Because lukewarm, room temperature happens all by itself. <clears throat> What's really wrong? What does Jesus spew out? Laziness. Yeah, that's good. Praise God. Jesus does not like laziness. Mm -hmm. Now, he's not saying that you're going to lose your salvation. That's just goofy talk. He's talking about close fellowship. Those who are going to have close fellowship with him are going to be those who are busy in the kingdom. Those who... See a need and fill it. Those who go to their church and say, how can, I, how can I make this church a better church? Who go to church rather than saying, well, let's go see what the preacher's got to say today. Uh, if it's not good, I'm going to go down to that other church. No, well, you're never going to have that happen coming here. But they have a, they just have an attitude that, you know, everybody's got to do something for them. Jesus said, I want you to do something for me. I want you to work like you're working at it. Make things excellent. 
Whatever you do, do it with all your gusto, with all your heart. You don't have to be rich. You just got to do the best with what you have. Do all you can do to be the best you can be. Praise God. Do all you can do to be the best you can be. If that's the best you can do, then you're excellent at it. Most of us don't, don't say, I did the very best I could do. Most of us say, nah, that's good enough. Have you ever noticed when somebody tells you, you give somebody a job, and they say it's good enough? Have you ever noticed it's never really good enough? Good enough for them, but not really good enough for you. It's good enough. I said that to my daddy one time, and the cow got out the next day. Apparently it wasn't good enough. Hmm? Good enough. Yeah, the gate opened. I, th- I told you about the horse that leaned against the gate. Horse just leaned against the gate. I didn't know how he was getting out. There wasn't anything wrong with the latch. And I couldn't push it and make it happen, but that 1,000-pound that horse could lean on that gate, and that, 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 that latch would pop open. And he'd just walk out. And the gate would shut behind him. How did he get out? Good enough is not good enough. Amen. They should have made that gate where it, where, where it could take a 1,200-pound horse. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Listen, Jesus has an invitation out to every, every believer today. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He wants to have close, intimate fellowship with you. He wants you. Now, listen, you can overdo this working, working, working. I'm not saying stay busy all the time because Martha was so busy, she didn't have time to fellowship with Jesus. But you get a balance in your life. You get a balance of doing everything that you do do for the Lord. You do it with excellence. But you take time to just sit in His presence too. Amen. Take time to have have time with Him. Amen. Now the last thing I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to spend a little time with this if you don't mind. Number 33, our final for the record item. Jesus did not crush the head of the serpent. (laughs) Don't throw anything. Just hear me out. (laughs) Jesus did not crush the head of the serpent. Rather, the prophecy... Let's turn to Genesis 3.15 before anybody throws tomatoes. Genesis 3.15, the very first messianic prophecy. The very first messianic prophecy. What's that about? The first prophecy that talks about Jesus coming. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity, God Almighty speaking, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent. Speaking to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you, devil, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and it, her seed, shall bruise your head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. What it's really saying is that Jesus, hmm, Jesus really had enmity, not directly with the devil, because he was, he was going to beat the devil the moment he died. But the real enmity and the real crushing that he brought was to the seed of the serpent. The seed of the serpent. It's, it's almost the same thing. Don't misunderstand me. But the greatest demonstration of Satan in the earth was through religion. The greatest demonstration in the earth was through religion. You read the book of Revelation, you see that there's, there's the, the Antichrist and the what? The beast. 
There's another one, the, the unholy trinity and the false prophet. Oh, the false prophet, the antichrist and the beast. You see how the, the governmental the governmental authorities of the of the end of the end days will be a religious will have a religious flavor to it because it'll have a false prophet running things. The greatest demonstration of the devil in the earth is false religion. Because government doesn't doesn't promise to take you to heaven. But false religions do. The greatest demonstration of evil and deception in the earth is false religion. And it's really easy for all of us to get wrapped up in it. It's because these are not monsters that fall for this stuff. They're just ordinary folks like you and me. They're just ordinary people. But they forget that there's just really one standard in the earth for truth. And it's not how you feel about truth. There's really just one standard for truth in the earth. And it's not your own conscience. If you could follow your conscience, and see, Christians have said this for the years, for years. Oh, well, just let your conscience be your guide. Well, say that to Osama bin Laden. His conscience made him bomb the Twin Towers with airplanes. His conscience was guiding him. Your conscience is evil in its natural state. It's your spirit man that's been reborn that counts. That's what you want to follow is the spirit man on the inside. Because that's where God lives in you, praise God. Hallelujah. But there's just one standard, so it can't be how we feel about a thing. The standard of America has become two places, Los Angeles and New York City. New York City money, Los Angeles, the film industry. Thank you for your enthusiasm. It's become the standard of how Americans live, what the movies and media tell us, and what the banker says. That's, been our, that's become our standard. That's not, it should not be the standard of the, uh, to, to any believer. The standard for the believer is what the Bible says. The Bible's going to tell you the truth whether you like it or not. I was, uh, years ago I was told this, I, 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 was, I was shown a video, Dennis Lindsay showed this video when I was a student in college, put on by uh, the Moody Bible Institute of Technology, Science and Technology. They had a, a pilot, a, a trained uh, test pilot, and they put him in something like a barber chair that had roller bearings, you know, and they blindfolded him. How many of you have ever heard this? They blindfolded this guy. And then he got down and they said, Now, Mr. Pilot, we want you to tell us what you're sensing, what you're feeling when, when we turn the chair. Okay. They spun the chair. And they said, Tell us what you're feeling. He said, Turning right, turning right, I'm turning right, turning right, turning right, turning right, still turning right, turning right, turning right, turning right. Turning right, slowing down a little bit now, still, still turning right, slower, slower right, turning right, slower, slower, I've stopped. The camera showed the guy, he's still spinning the same speed he was when they started. They said, are you sure you've stopped? He said, yeah, I'm st still, still spinning the same speed. Are you sure, Mr. Test Pilot? Yeah. Spinning just like he was. The fluid in his head, in his inner ear, had, had synchronized with the motion of the chair. 
And when it synchronized, he stopped. That's how it felt. How many of you know a test pilot cannot fly his plane by how it feels? <laughs> they reached out and grabbed the chair, stopped him, and he stopped perfectly still. And you know what he said? Turning left, turning left, turning left, turning left, turning left, turning left, turning left. Sitting perfectly still. Turning left. You sure you're turning left? Yep, turning left, turning left, turning left. Sitting perfectly still. They said, we can't take the, 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 the uh, blindfold off of him right now. He'd fall on the floor. A test pilot. Hmm. He knows. Well, how's this guy fly his plane then? He flies by instruments that are external from him. They're objective instruments. They're going to tell him what is no matter how it feels. You get an airplane flying at high rates of speed, you can't tell which is up or which is down. You get in these jet, jet planes, especially that fly faster than 700 miles an hour, faster than the speed of sound, you, you can't tell whether you're up or down. You've got to have an instrument telling you what is because your body will lie to you. Your body will tell you you are going up when you'll be flying straight down into the ground. It'll lie to you. Just like yours lies to you about your neighbor's wife. <laughs> Just like ours lies to us about that next piece of pie. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, yeah, y'all will be shouting, this is really good preaching right here. I mean, <laughs> we, have our, we have stuff like our bodies lie to us all the time. Oh, you just got to have that. Just got to have that. I got to have that. Oh, life will be complete when I have that. And you go spend the money for that, and you get the bill, and you think, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Because your body lied to you. It lies to us all the time. But there is an instrument on your instrument panel, the instrument panel of your life that's not going to lie to you. It's going to tell you what is. It's going to tell you the truth whether you like it or don't like it. The Word of God is going to tell you the truth about everything, every time. It's going to tell you what is, whether you like it or don't. If you threaten, well, I'm quitting the church. The Bible's going to say, go ahead, but this is still the truth. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to kill myself. Well, go ahead, but this is still the truth. This is going to tell you the truth. It can't help it. It's just going to tell you the truth. There's just one standard for the truth in the world. There's just one standard for truth in the world. And it's not the U.S. Constitution. It's not the Bill of Rights. As good as they were, it's not the standard for truth. It used to be based on the standard for truth, but not anymore. As flawed as they were, they were really reasonably good. It's amazing that they had amendments. That first off, the, 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 the writers, of the framers of the Constitution knew that, hey, we're going to have to change this thing as we go, so we'll make a provision for amendments. I mean, they knew they were flawed. They knew they couldn't write a perfect Constitution. They didn't need amending as it went. Everybody understand this? By the way, that Bible you have does not need amendments. Amen. It's pretty much perfect, just like it is. Hallelujah. But religion sets up standards that are apart from the Word of God. Religion tries to get you to experience. Well, how can I say that religion is the seed of the serpent? Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 8 and verse 44. John 8, 44. 
He crushed the head of the seed of the serpent. Ye, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, said, You are of your father the devil. How, how wonderful is that? What? The devil didn't want me to read that one, I'm telling you. Miss Ann, you got it there? Who wants to read it? Read it. Nice and loud. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. The desires of your father you will do. So vicariously, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. He did. But he did it by crushing the head of false religion. And by the way, these Pharisees were the best religion in the world. John 8, 44. As far as doctrinal denominations are concerned, you are of your father the devil and the lust or the, or the desires of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. That is, he's the father of all lies. And he says that religion, as good as it gets, denominationalism, as good as it gets, is that. And the Pharisees were the best denomination in the world. They did everything right. Jesus even said to his followers, you do what they say, just don't do what they do. They had it all right as far as the law was concerned. Paul said it was the straightest sect of the, of the, of the people of God. Of all the sects, and denominations there were in Judaism, there were just a few, but he said this was the straightest one. He said, it's the one I came up in. The best they could do was to take them to this lowly place. Look, look at Philippians chapter 3. And we'll begin reading with verse 6. Philippians 3, 6. You get anything out of this today? Yes. Philippians 3, 6. Concerning zeal, Paul says, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Verse 10. And be found in him not having mine own, verse 9 rather, yeah, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. It says it pretty clearly right there. That the apostle Paul had kept the law blamelessly, that's what he said. And he said, but I want to be found in Christ not having my own righteousness, which comes from the law. Now what do we call somebody who has his own righteousness? Self-righteous. So Paul, by keeping the law perfectly, being the best Pharisee of all the Pharisees, only reached the high, lofty level of self-righteousness. How many of you want that kind of righteousness? No, I want the one right here. But the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Praise God. He crushed the head of the seed of the serpent. But we didn't get two centuries away from the birth of the church until religion had begun to form again. Set up a headquarters in a place called Rome. And the next thing you know, in A.D. 312, Constantine, I think it was 12, Constantine declared 
that Christianity was the official religion of Rome. Pardon me. You can declare it, but it still doesn't make Christianity a religion. All religions are the same. They're racing to try to get people to heaven. But Christianity is not doing that. Christianity is telling it. Christians should believe. I don't know if you, if you do believe it as a believer, but you need to. You need to believe that you're already seated there with Christ in heavenly places. I'm not trying to get there. I'm a citizen already, glory to God, because he's there. Hallelujah. I'm in faith, so I'm there. I'm not trying to go to heaven. Oh, I'm, you know, brother, we're just all trying to get to the same place. I said, I'm not trying to get to the same place. I'm not trying to go to heaven. Heaven came to me. I believed on Jesus. That makes me a citizen of heaven right now. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're trying to get to heaven, I got good news for you. You don't have to do that. I'm on the heavenly highway. I'm not. I'm seated at the, at the right hand of Jesus, praise God. When the Father looks at him, he looks at JTH. Come on, say your name. When the Father looks at Jesus, the Father looks at John. Praise God. He sees you there. Most of us don't see ourselves there because we think in the flesh all the time. All right, I've got just a few more minutes here to give you something. What time is it? All right, real quick, like, take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to talk about this seed of the serpent for a minute. For a minute. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 8. But if you be without chastisement, that is purifying and correction, the correction that purifies, that's all chastisement means, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. I didn't write the Bible, I'm just telling you what it says. I looked the word bastards up, and you know what it really says? The Greek, it's the Greek word nothos, N O. T-H-O-S, nothos. Then are ye nothos and not sons. Translates it bastards here. But it's not just your run-of-the-mill bastard. It's not your run-of-the-mill bastard. Not, 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 not just any child born out of wedlock. This word for bastard means child of a slave woman. Or an indentured servant. Child of a concubine. Those are the two definitions of bastard. He said, if you be without chastisement, then are you children of a slave woman or a concubine? Oh, it's a different kind of bastard, isn't it? Like Ishmael. Oh. This is why God could say years after Ishmael was born to Abraham, take your son, your only son. Because he didn't see Ishmael as a son. He saw him as a bastard. Son of a slave woman, son of a concubine. Yeah, Isaac was a son. Not one person in this building, if you know Jesus as your own personal Savior, falls into this category. Not one of you is like this. You are children of the living God. He sees you like he sees Jesus. Glory to God. Can I have a good amen? Now follow me, follow me, nothos. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And verse 2. Verse 
to 10. I said 2, but 10. Galatians 4, 10. Uh, let's, look, let's look at 11. I'm, I'm, I'm running by the seat of my pants here. Verse 12, 13, 14, 15, uh, 16, 17, 18, 19. I don't know where I'm at. Galatians 4, why is it not there? Let's go some more. Did I go too far down? There we are, verse 23. All right, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. Talking about Ishmael, listen. But he of the free woman was by promise. We have the nothos, and then we have the real son. Verse 24. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. Oh, there's two covenants. There's an old covenant and a new covenant. So now he's applying Isaac being the new covenant, you, and Ishmael being the old covenant. Got it? Ishmael, the old covenant, the Nothos covenant, the bastard covenant. I didn't write this. I'm just telling you what it says. The one from Mount Sinai, which genders to bondage, which is Hagar. The law. Anybody want to, you want to, you want to talk about keeping the law now? You think you're supposed to keep the law? The Bible calls that religion, the seed of the serpent, false religion, calls it nothos, bastard religion. Verse 25. For this is Hagar, Mount Sinai, and Arabia, and answers to Jerusalem. That is, is parallel to Jerusalem today, which is now, and is in bondage with her children. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of shocking, isn't it, when you, when you read it like that. Verse 26. But Jerusalem, which is above, that is the heavenly Jerusalem, is free, which is the mother of us all. The heavenly Jerusalem is Sarah. The earthly Jerusalem is Hagar. And their religion. Now, Galatians chapter 1, I know this one. Galatians chapter 1. I want to begin reading with about verse 13, I believe. Galatians 1, 13. For you heard of my conversation, the Apostle Paul says. Follow me, you've got to follow me here. For you heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. What? The seed of the serpent's religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. I'm not saying Jews are of the devil. I'm not saying that. Don't misunderstand that. I'm not saying Israel is of the devil. I'm talking about their form of religion that caused them to hate Jesus. I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Verse 14. And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Next. Let me ask you something. Did that that he just talked about, did that happen after he was saved, after he was taken from his mother's womb or before? It was after he was taken from his mother's womb. 
Look at verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Wait a minute. Was he then separated from his mother's womb and called by grace? His natural mother's womb and called by grace right then? No, because all this other stuff he, he said, all this other stuff he said happened after he was born. If he's given us a chronology of his life story, you know my conversation times past in the Jewish religion. He's just giving us a, he's saying right here, he's talking about some other mother's womb. He's got to be talking about the womb of Hagar, the Jews' religion. Because that day he got separated from the Jews' religion and was called by his grace, was on the road to Damascus. Why did Paul know these, what these people really are? What Jewish religion really is? Not, not, not Jews, but the Jewish religion. The law, what it really is, it's bondage. How did he know so well that he could call it legalistic, Bastards. Because he was one. He was born of that same womb. He was born of that same womb. But Jesus separated him from his mother's womb, glory to God, and called him by his grace into the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory. Glory to God. It's a revelation right there. Jesus crushed the head of false religion. And the biggest false religion there was after he died and rose again was the false religion of the law of Moses. The false religion of the law of Moses. I don't know when in this country we started saying America is a Judeo-Christian country. Do you know our forefathers never once ever said that? Our forefathers said this is a Christian nation. Judeo-nothing. Christian nation. Judeo-nothing. Christian nation. I'm a part of a Christian nation. I'm not just talking about the United States. I'm talking about this family of God. We are a nation of believers in Jesus. And nothing Judeo about it. Amen. It's Christian. What it means to be a Christian. Not when he calls the Jews religion a bastard religion. I didn't call it that. Paul did. And the reason most of us are shocked by it is because we, we don't dare to believe it. We think that's being anti-Semitism. That's not anti-Semitism. I'm all in favor of the Jews. All in favor of the nation of Israel. I support them completely. But their religion is what has kept them from receiving Christ. You understand that? The Pharisees loved the law. Oh, they loved the law. But they hated the God that wrote it. And the reason I know they hated God was because when God came in human flesh, they hated him. They said they loved God, but they hated God. Hated him all along because they hated, religion, they hated Jesus. You cannot say you love God and hate Jesus and still really be in love with God. Hmm. You can say it, but if you hate Jesus, you hate God. The last time I read the Bible, Jesus was God. Amen. He is God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can I have a good amen in this house today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your kindness. Lord, thank you for these things. We're setting the record straight because you've set the record straight. You help us understand the Word of God. Help us understand what's going on in the earth so that we can better walk with you and be an example of who you are in the earth. 
We thank you, Jesus, that we're not striving to go to heaven, that you strove to come to earth. Hallelujah. You came and got us. I thank you, Lord, that heaven is not the, not the reward of the believer, but the believer is the reward of Jesus in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That we are your reward. You came for us, and we gave our lives to you. We submitted that by faith, and here you, here you have brought us to this great moment of revelation and joy and peace and grace. Thank you for the grace of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the grace of God that saved us. It was revealed to us so we could live in abundance in your presence. Hallelujah. I'm asking you to bless your people now in the name of Jesus. Bless your people in the name of Jesus with great understanding today. Amen. Amen. Well, glory. I hope you got something out of that. I did. I enjoyed it. Thank God bless you. God bless you.